Um, if you'll open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3. And uh, before we pray and begin, let me just sort of briefly recap where we are thus far in this book. So uh, last week we got a glimpse into the family of the priest of Shiloh, Eli, and his household. And particularly the chapter focused on the sins of Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were using their positions as priests for their own uh, selfish gains and to satisfy their own selfish desires rather than serving and knowing the Lord. Eli, rather than removing his sons from their position of spiritual power, uh, valued his sons more than um, the, the proper worship of God, and God responded by sending um, this anonymous man of God who prophesied about Eli's household losing the priesthood, an event that would be um, proven true by the death of Hophni and Phinehas on the same day. So Eli would know that the prophecy would come to pass on that day when his two sons would both die. Uh, So far, the emphasis in these first two chapters, um, or maybe not the emphasis, but sort of the underlying um, focus has been on worship. The actions of chapter 1, the story of Elkanah and his family, uh, Hannah's struggle to have a child, it all revolved around this yearly pilgrimage to Shiloh. All the major events of chapter 1 happened around the worship of God. And chapter 2 focusing on the perversion of God's worship by these two priests who were um, stealing the offerings uh, from God, using the sacrificial system for their own gain. And Eli is rejected because he put his sons above the worship of God. Today the focus shifts a little bit. We're still going to be in Shiloh. We're still going to be at the central place of worship in Israel at this time. But the focus is going to shift to the Word of God. Um, That's going to be the dominant feature of chapter 3, the Word of the Lord. And so before we open the Word of the Lord and um, read this chapter, let me begin us with a word of prayer. Almighty God, creator of all the universe, we do worship and adore you and we lift up our praise and thanksgiving that you are not a silent God. You are not a distant God, but you are a God who has chosen to reveal himself to us, that you have spoken your word to us and you have deemed to record that word. Indeed, Lord God, we are blessed by the living word, our Lord Jesus Christ, the word become flesh. As we read this chapter and we see the initiation of the ministry of the prophet Samuel, we ask that you would make us conscious of the word of God proclaimed to us, that we would be hearers, but also proclaimers, that you call us to be ministers of your word to the world around us, that we would proclaim your mighty deeds and words. We ask now that you would give us uh, ears and hearts that would be attentive to and pricked by the words of this book that you have given for our good. 
We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, so today we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 3. I'm actually going to start my reading um, uh, with verse 27 of chapter 2. Because um, uh, just to sort of this theme of the word of God um, saying something to Eli really starts in in chapter 2 with this man of God. So let me start there and read through chapter 3. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus the Lord has said, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded, and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be a sign to you, both of them shall, be, shall die on the same day, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places, that I may eat. A morsel of bread. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, 
And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing at which the two ears of everyone hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So here we have um, this chapter 3 focusing on uh, this establishing of Samuel as a prophet of the Lord. But our... Uh, narrator starts off in verse 1 by giving us a little background saying the word of the Lord was rare in those days there was no frequent vision so what does it mean for the word of the Lord to be rare what does it mean that the word of the Lord is absent largely in this period Why stop to give us that aside? Kathy. Okay, so this is a period of time where they don't have any kind of prophetic ministry. What else? And what does that tell us? I mean, is that significant? Is it just sort of a timing thing? Eh, God hadn't started to speak to people yet. Or is there something more to it? Yeah, we, we see in other scriptures... This emphasis on not having the word of the Lord is a sign of God's displeasure. Um, last year, when we looked at the book of Amos, you remember that passage in Amos, I think it's eight, chapter 8, where he talks about there's going to be a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, but a famine of the word of the Lord. You know, so this absence of, of God's word is a sign of his displeasure upon people. What else might you say about what does it mean for the word of the Lord not to be um, to be rare in those days? Amy. Yeah, we, we don't know, you know, what kind of uh, um, what kind of proclamation of the word 
especially the words of the Pentateuch going on now, because that would be their Bible at this point. Um, yeah, that it's not it's not being told, even if it's if it's not. Um, we're not yet at a position where things are being written down at length like they will be later. At least it's not being told in the oral form that it's supposed to be. It's not being passed. And it's not, we certainly haven't seen it coming from the top. You know, last chapter we saw these two sons of Eli, neither of them seem to know the word of the Lord. You know, they're not only are they not following it, they're not even... You know, performing the sacrifices the way they're supposed to, and it's the people who are correcting them. Like, wait a minute, you're not supposed to eat the fat. The fat belongs to God. They're like, give me the fat. So we're in a position where the word of the Lord is not being uh, uh, given for. So is this, you know, a sign uh, that these people are under judgment? What about visions? There's no, um, ESV says no frequent vision. Um, you know, visions are unfrequent. How are these two things connected? And that's another thing to sort of look as we go through this chapter. How hearing and seeing are sort of intertwined. Like we sort of draw a line between I saw, I heard. Those are two different things. Here they sort of blurred. You know, I saw the word of the Lord. Um, I heard what the Lord showed me. Hmm? <laughs> Not usually the way you express these things. Mark. Yeah, not getting word is not getting correction. I mean, if we think of, and we're really with Samuel seeing the uh, installation of a, a prophetic office in Israel. Prophets are going to become much more frequent um, as we go through uh, Israel's monarchy. There are going to be prophets popping up all over the place. Some whose names we know and have their prophecies recorded from us. Others show up. We don't know their name. They do their job. They disappear. Um, but always there to sort of you know, stand and speak against what their culture is doing. And that's a blessing. It's not, you know, that often they speak words of judgment, but they're words of judgment with the intent of bringing the people to repentance. Mary. Yeah, we, I mean, we could sort of take Eli's vision being dimmed as just sort of, you know, recording, you know, historical fact of here's a man who's reached an age, his eyesight's starting to dim. But I think you're right. I think the contrast um, between um, uh, the vision and Eli's being unable to see is really about his lack of perception. Especially, I mean, you got all kinds of things with. Um, eyesight and light, you know, he cannot see the lamp of God had not yet gone out that morning in the temple. So you're getting this picture of both sort of a physical blindness, but also some spiritual blindness as well. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of the same thing we saw in chapter 1 with Eli and Hannah. You know, he thinks she's drunk at first. Somebody praying fervently is so unfamiliar to him that he's like, ah, she must be drunk. You know, it takes him three times to be like, oh, he's hearing the voice of the Lord. And he did, and he, you know, to his credit, he gives them the proper sort of, all right, this, he trains them how you're supposed to respond to it. But there's certainly sort of a dimness. Um, he, he's unaccustomed to um, encountering this kind of word of the Lord. see that in in the very next chapter the you know and the way the next chapter not preview of next week um, commercial pause for a commercial break so next week next week chapter four starts off with and the word of Samuel came to all Israel you know you know he's established as a prophet in all Israel and when you know this trouble with the Philistines come up they're like they don't go inquire of the known prophet of God you know, they do something else. I don't want to get away next week totally. So, yeah, you got to come back. Find out, oh, what happens? What do they do? But you're right that there's, um, you know, it's connected to not just, I mean, here, um, the first prophecy we see Samuel concerns Eli, but it's not just Eli personally, but its effects on all the nation of Israel. So it's connected not just to the minutiae of life, but this sort of grand political um, scale of things. So, uh, so that's just a sort of he's setting the stage for us, and it's going to be interesting how at the very end of the chapter he comes back and you know gives us a sign that things have changed just because of Samuel's presence and establishment as the prophet. So, all right. So let's what's the what's the scene that we're given of God's calling Samuel. So here the the author for us sets the scene. Um, what's the scene look like? How do you picture what's going on here? Where are they? What's going on in this moment that God um, calls Samuel to be his prophet? Yeah, so Samuel and Eli, it's at nighttime. They're sleeping in different places, but close enough that um, uh, Samuel can hop up when Eli needs them. They're in the temple. This is really strange. <laughs> the boy, and it's really sort of Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord. We're not quite, we're only told Eli is lying down in his own place. But Samuel sleeping in the temple. That struck me as a little weird. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. <laughs> but um, you know, why is it that Samuel 
is lying down in the temple of the Lord. There's a physical lampstand. Um, yeah, so that there's a physical lampstand um, in the sort of in the tabernacle. It was sort of in the outer courtyard of the tabernacle. A physical lampstand that the priests were to be, keep lit continually. Now, not continually like they keep it lit during the day, but through the night, and it's got to be prepared continually. So it's it could be he's in there because it's his job to make sure this lamp is fed with oil throughout the night so that um, so that you know that that command of God is maintained that this lamp not go out they let it go out we're sort of told um, that they let it go out when daybreak but during the night it's supposed to be kept lit during times of darkness daylight comes you know you know you know like there there's Saving money, you know, turn lights off in the house when you daylight. You don't need to light on. You know, if you don't need to burn your oil if it's daytime. So it's sort of the we're in a couple of places, Chronicles, and even in in um, let's see, where was this? I think it was in Numbers. We're given sort of the instructions on on this particular lampstand. Um, it's 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 supposed to be kept perpetually ready, but it seems like they're only supposed to you know, keep it lit during the nighttime hours. So it's a timing thing. It's letting us know it's this is happening at night before, you know, probably pre-dawn. It's not yet till the time it's okay to let the, the lamp burn out. Yeah, it's, he's going to be a certain distance from his presence because the ark is going to be kept in the Holy of Holies. But uh, I'm glad you jumped onto the ark there because I think, there, he's, uh, again, our author's doing all kinds of things. One, he's setting up the, the drama that's coming in um, the next three chapters, which focus on the ark. So it's sort of a little, for, you know, it's a passing reference to the ark now. In chapters 4, 5, and 6, the Ark is going to be really the main character, um, we could think of it. Uh, so it's sort of a little foreshadowing. But it's also, you know, this it's, he's in the temple, um, the Ark, he's near the Ark, he's doing the ministry uh, of the temple, ministering before the Lord, whose presence is represented by that Ark. Alright, so we're in this... This temple, he's um, laying down at night, got this lamp burning, he's probably serving it still. Yeah, I think, it, and that's um, earlier, I think with the, this contrast between Eli's eyesight dimming and the lamp of God not going out. So it's not a quality of the... Yeah, so it's, there's a disconnect. I think it is, it's both um, setting the physical scene for us, but it's also giving us the spiritual scene as well. So I, I think you're right. The, I think the lamp can, can serve multiple purposes there. Um, in verse 7, 
we have this um, weird, or not weird, but this phrase, it may is weird to me. Um, but we, this phrase, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Back in chapter 2, when we're described, uh, chapter 2, verse 12, when we're being described the worthless sons of Eli, now the sons of Eli were worthless men, they did not know the Lord. So what do we make of this phrase in chapter 3, that Samuel did not yet know the Lord? Okay, so yeah, so here we have someone, uh, it could, could uh, speak to a certain kind of ignorance. He's been raised in this household with two other sons that uh, clearly don't know the Lord and were told that. Christian. And that's the phrase. You know, if you look back in chapter 2, every time we see Samuel, this contrast between Samuel and Eli's sons, that's the phrase that's continually used of him. Samuel was ministering before the Lord. Samuel was growing before the Lord. Um, Now we're getting to this point, so he's doing all these things before the Lord, yet he does not yet know him. Mike. And the ephod is mom. Make, make for him a little, you know, ephod every year. Now, the one um, one thing he said, he's sort of, he's picture him doing menial tasks. Uh, you know, one thing I, I was struck by I was doing this, it's constantly, he's not... Serving Eli. That's not the picture we're given. He's serving the Lord. That's, you know, again, it's fuzzy. We don't know what this kid's doing. We don't know what, you know, a pre-adolescent boy is doing, ministering, serving the Lord in the temple. But the, the relationship of who he's serving isn't Eli. It's he's serving the Lord. Now, is he serving the Lord in a capacity that Eli is supposed to be fulfilling and he's not? I don't know. Again, it's, it's you know, what's this kid doing? 
But here we're being given a picture where he's ministering to the Lord, and he has been his whole life, but he yet doesn't quite, he doesn't yet know God. God, the coming of God's word changes everything. And the word no, um, it's not the word no here in Hebrew isn't just sort of, you know, educational knowledge. It's that intimate form of knowledge. You know, we often will see it in the Old Testament used for the um, sexual relationship between a man and a woman. You know, he knew his wife and she bore him a child. That intimate knowledge. So that's the kind of, of knowledge and relationship that God is seeking with his people. And he doesn't yet have it yet. And I think the key word there is yet. And that's the, you know, if we're looking at what's the difference between uh, Hophni and Phinehas and Samuel, is they never had that kind of intimate relationship with God. And Samuel will. And he has that relationship with God, not because of his own initiative, but because of this word of God coming to him. The word of God revealed to Samuel changes everything. Yeah, and we're told that in the, in the last verse of the chapter, the Lord appeared again. So, you know, in this connect, again, it's that, you know, word we're used to being here word, but here the word is very much connected to God's presence and um, this, you know, intimate knowing and seeing of God. Cheers. Yeah, a shift from doing things to something more, you know, and that's what you know. I think um, with joining the church is testifying that it's not just something um, I know and do. It's again, it's about the relationship. And if we think of that, a relationship is being established between God and His prophet here. That they, you know, He is coming to this intimate knowledge of God. And he's going to be God's spokesperson. And, again, it's, we're not going to be spokespersons in the same way. You know. 
Yes. What? What am I supposed to tell them that? You know, it doesn't work that way for us. You know, we have, but we still have the revealed word of God just every bit as Samuel does. And we're charged with its proclamation. Um, None of these words, just like Samuel's words, have fallen to the ground. It hasn't failed. Um, And it's our job to proclaim it. He's literally, um, you know, usually with prophetic callings, you know, we get the object, because usually most of the prophetic calls we have in the Old Testament are um, uh, calls to adults, and we get the adults' objections. <laughs> like, I can't do this, I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't do this, they'll never listen to me. You know, we get that kind of, and here it's, it's almost not so much a call, but he's raising up a prophet from youth and training him. You know, he, we don't have any instructions Samuel, you're going to be my prophet. You're going to be my spokesperson. He gives them, he doesn't give them any context for, he gives them a prophecy. (laughs) And the man who the first thing he comes out the next morning is going to be like, so what did God tell you? (laughs) Don't don't hold anything back from me. Um, But I think that's, you you know, we like, Let's ease the boy in, you know, but the, that's the ministry of a prophet is to say things to people that they don't want to hear. Um, you know, if we think of the, what prophets do in the Old Testament, they are often speaking words of judgment or speaking words that run counter to their culture. They're not there to, you know, dispense warm fuzzies. And. Um, let's since you you raised that, let's jump to that. What do we think of Eli's reaction? So he doesn't object. He says, "This is what God has said. Um, God has said it to him twice now. You know, here we're at a time. You know, the word of the Lord's rare. It's rare. He's gotten this direct message from God twice now from two different people, <laughs> um, and it's the same message that he, he and his family are going to be cut off." And his reaction is, yeah, that's what God's going to do. That's what God's going to do. Yeah, we don't see any, um, we don't see any pushback. Um, and I was thinking of this. I was trying to think of a comparable example. And I was thinking of when um, Nathan comes to David and and tells him that, you know. God's not going to punish you, but the child of your sin with Bathsheba is going to die. What does David do at that moment? He doesn't say, well, that's what God's going to do. That's what God's going to do. David puts on sackcloth and ashes. He, you know, he 
spends days begging for that child. And then once the child dies, you know, he, he um, goes back to life as normal. And everybody's befuddled by this. And he's like, while the child is still alive, you know, I could plead with God. <laughs> you know, I could, you know, go before God. And here, we don't see Eli. I mean, I, I struggle with this. I mean, Eli, in certain ways, we see him. He's, um, he knows, you know, he gives the boy, tells the boy the right thing to say. He knows if you hear a prophetic word, this is how you respond to God. He gives him the right instruction. You know, the boy comes to him, tells him this horrible thing that God's told him about Eli's family. And he says... God's will be done. But on the other hand, we don't see any of this. You know, there's a lot of sparring between men of God and their God in the Old Testament. We don't see any of that kind of wrestling back on Eli's part. So I, I, I'm... Maybe so, Mary. If that's what he thinks is right, let him go ahead and do it. Maybe so. Yeah. Is it just the appearance or is it actual acquiescence to the will of God? Christian. He had no choice in the matter. Yeah. Yeah, there's family responsibility here, not personal choice. Yeah, there's a there's definitely that sense of fatalism. Um, with them, you know, I can't. This is gonna. This is the way things are. I can't change it. So the priesthood is going to pass to another family. So, and it seems, um, and that was one of the reasons I had read the end part of chapter two. It seems like um, he had been chosen, and his household had been promised that they would be priests um, forever. And now they're not. So there's been a, a... God has made a major change here in get, taking the high priesthood 
from one family and giving it to another. I think it's Zadok's family is who the priesthood is going to pass to. So this family among the Levites has been, so they're already, um, as Christian said, you know, he's born into this because he's a Levite. And he's born into the high priesthood because of his particular family and promises God made to that family. And now that's being taken from them. Yeah, we're, it sort of seems, and here, I mean, we're really given this sort of picture of, um, oh, where's, I'm losing my, my place. I'm going to go to my notes because I've got my outline here. That's, um, I mean, it, it's really striking this, this word that's used, um, in, uh, verse 14. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or or offering forever. Um, It's not only it's like he's not being given a chance of repentance. He's being told the main vehicle for uh, forgiveness of sins. Sorry, that vehicle is closed to you. And part of that, we talked a little bit about this last week. Part of that's because, you know, What's the the sin of Eli's sons? They've perverted the vehicle for atoning for sin. And it's sort of like, you know, you you wrecked the car. Well, how are we going to get over there? Oh, in that car you just wrecked. You know, it's sort of like, oh, oops. Um, It's almost that kind of picture we're giving. The vehicle by which uh, atonement could be made, um, that's the source of their sin.
And that's what makes these stories so compelling, that it's not clear-cut, you know, the fact that I'm going back and forth between, boy, Eli, you know, boy, he messed that up, glad I'm not him, too. Man, I really feel for this guy, you know. Yeah. And, and that's what's the, how the, the, the narrative sucks us in. You know, it's, it doesn't give us, you know, this clear-cut, these are the good people, therefore they're blessed by God. These are the bad people, therefore they're cursed by God. Everybody has, has, has good and evil in them. Um, everybody's doing, you know, we don't see this picture of a perfect person. What we do see is this picture of this God who intervenes and uses particular people to bring about his purpose. Um, Yeah, and it's the word of God. It's the word of the Lord that's making the difference. That's the changing point in this story. You know, it's and it, and notice it's not Samuel was in the temple saying, you know, give me the word of God. So you know, I, you know, he's going on his normal day to day routine, and God's word, God's revelation breaks in, and that's what you know brings about change. Um, it's the decisive uh, revealing act of God. And I think sometimes because we focus, you know, um, so much on the, the um, atoning work of Christ that we forget about, you know, even before we can access that, you know, we have this entry point. We've got to let the word of God come into our lives to show us that. Um, again, the sort of, you know, we see Christ through the scriptures. Um, we see the word of the Lord as it's recorded in these words of men and God um, uh, revealed to us. You know, that is the decisive change. And, you know, as, as we draw near the close, look again at, at these last three verses. So we get Eli's reaction, and then we get these last three verses, and Samuel grew... The Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. All Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So we started off this chapter, the situation, the word of the Lord is rare. And at the end of this chapter, the word of the Lord is known. It's known that God has a prophet in Shiloh, that Samuel is someone 
who speaks the word of God truthfully. Now, he uses this phrase that um, everyone knew that Samuel was established as prophet. Um, The uh, New American Standard says, uh, knew that Samuel was confirmed as prophet. How do we know if a prophet's words are true? How, How can we confirm that this guy... Hearing voices in the temple early in the morning. It, this is the word of the Lord. Here. Yeah, I think that's the point of that idiom. You know, it's a weird phrase. You know, none of his words fall to the ground. You know, you know, have I dropped any words? You know, <laughs> sweep them up. You know, it's. You know, sort of how the words fall to the ground. It's that sense of failing. You know, he's saying words and they're not coming to pass. You know, they know he's confirmed as a prophet because what he says is a word from the Lord happens. I was about to call and share because you touched your glasses. So you forget you're in an auction house sometimes. You know, (laughs) you know those subtle ways you don't want other people to know you're bidding. But um, as as we end, I want to sort of emphasize that, you know, this word of the Lord has now come to Israel. It's there. They have access to it. Because I think, again, sort of as the story, the bigger story is unfolding, these last three verses really set up the action of chapter 4. So keep that in mind as we turn toward next week, you know, What does it mean if you have the word of the Lord present, the prophet of the Lord uh, there, you know his words are are there and he speaks truth and you don't use them? You know, if you have the word of the Lord but you don't ever avail yourself of it, I think is the situation we're sort of being set up for next week. But um, before we get there, let me close us in a word of prayer. Gracious God, what a humbling thing it is to think that the God of the universe seeks relationship and intimate knowledge of us, that we might have intimate knowledge of you. Given not just through the spoken words of your prophets and of the law, but the word made flesh and the word that dwelt among us, the word that sits on the throne of heaven constantly ministering for us before God. That is an amazing truth, a life-changing truth. Not because we are perfect vessels, because we are all too aware of our own sin, but because of the power of your word in and through us to bring about change in our church, in our cities, and in our culture. Make us uh, people of the word in that sense. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.